This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey guys, Jeremy here with Simple Little Life, and welcome to episode number two of the Simple Little Life podcast. I want to say thank you so much for checking out this podcast, and your support on the first episode was incredible. Um, Craig Lockwood had emailed me and uh, gave me a couple little screenshots. Uh, I guess I was like number two in hobbies in Canada, like within the first 24 hours, and number 10 in hobbies in the United States. And then in South Africa, I was ranked the number one podcast in, in hobbies for my first first episode. So thank you so much for your support. I really, really do appreciate that. Uh, a couple things that are going to be changing here. Uh, I'm going to try and do this as one take. I think for this to be a sustainable thing, I need to spend as little time editing as possible. The last episode, I probably recorded it three times and I edited a whole bunch and it just it took almost a day. And I don't think I can give an entire day to podcasting. So I think we're just going to kind of go a little bit rough around the edges. Uh, if I slip up my words, I'm just going to correct them. And, and this is just going to be a straight live recording. And uh, hopefully it'll all work out in the end. Now, currently, things are, things are pretty rough. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But mostly, I just hope that you're doing all right. Uh, I hope that, you know, with, with what's going on in the world right now, I, I mean, I can't make sense of any of it. You know, there's sides. And that part alone is frustrating. And at the same time, well, obviously, I mean, you, there's a certain set of justice. You can't have everybody on one side or the other. But, you know, I've chosen to be very quiet about this on social media because I honestly don't know. I, I don't have an answer. I don't have the solution. I don't have any, you know, piece of incredible wisdom to impart. I wish I could. But I think more than anything for myself, what I'm trying to do is to just listen and understand understand both sides. I think if there's going to be reconciliation, I, I think if both sides said, listen, I'm going to hear what you're saying, and I'm actually going to think about it and give it the time. I truly believe that's probably the only way we can fix this. Because I mean, we can't just ignore the problem. There's issues, there's problems, things need to change. But I think the way we go about the change is important. So I, I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, and, and mostly, I just hope you're doing all right. I know this is a very stressful time for a lot of people. Personally, I'm a little bit isolated from it. Um, in Canada here, we do have protests. Um, and, and I believe people have a right to protest. It's your right to the freedom of speech. And if there's something you want to address, good, you should do it. Obviously, those things are best when they're kept peaceful. Uh, I think the impact is greater. Uh, I think, you know, where you stand doesn't really matter. I think everybody kind of realized that, you know, getting violent and, and destroying property, stealing, that doesn't help any cause. Um, at the same time, you know, that's just a small handful that, that ruin it. And, and same thing with the other side. You know, there's a, a handful of bad characters on both sides. And I think we kind of just, we focus on that part of it instead of looking at the collective and saying, okay, listen, you know, let's take the extreme ends out of both sides. Let's talk about the issue and listen to each other and then find a solution. I really, really do hope that takes place. And, um, yeah, it's interesting, especially coming off of the, the COVID-19. Uh, it's funny, when it had started, and we'd been in like about a month of lockdown, uh, I started sensing an uneasiness. And I actually told my wife, I said, you know what, I guarantee before this thing's all said and done, there's going to be riots in the street. Uh, I had no clue it would be over, um, you know, the racial conflict that it is right now. But um, it's crazy. I mean, I, I think the situation, the atmosphere was just right. 
uh, for this thing to be set off. But hopefully we can be productive with the situation. I mean, we can't, we can't ignore it. We can't go back. This has happened. We're all here. Let's listen to each other. Let's, let's be consider of the other side. And, uh, yeah, anyways, I, uh, I just don't know what to say about it. So anyways, um, I had a topic and it's going to kind of tie into what I was doing this weekend. Um, when we built our house, uh, we had kind of a, some deals set up with our builder. Uh, this was a custom house built. I had wanted to build my house, but I was kind of focusing on the knives and it's kind of hard to pull myself away from making knives to build a house. So we had, um, a local guy build our house here and there are certain things that he did, uh, or allowed us to finish off to save some money. One of those things was not put hand railings on our decks. And in the interim, what we had done was just put some two by fours, basically like out the front door, straight down the steps so that we could get our occupancy permit. Uh, just that way it wasn't unsafe. And then on the back deck, what they had done was they actually installed the deadbolt backwards so that we needed a key to unlock the door. Uh, sorry, not the deadbolt, the little entry thing. And, and we still had like the deadbolt locking stuff, but basically the idea was that you couldn't open the back door unless you unlocked it. And that actually got us through uh, for inspections. So this weekend we went and uh, the last couple of weekends I've been putting up a new hand railing. And it was interesting because I was, I was putting up these boards on Saturday and it was a beautiful day. My wife was actually planting some plants right beside me and my boys were helping me. And as I was working, I was, I was using some tools that I've owned for a long time. And I told my wife, I said, do you know what I enjoy? One of the things I like the most, or I, I always notice when I'm doing projects like this, is I love my tools. <laughs> I said, you know, I love having the right tool at the right time. And there's just, there's a certain sense where, you know, you buy a tool and it's brand new and it's great. You're excited about it. But as the years go by, that tool takes on a whole new value to you. Uh, example, I mean, I bought uh, this as an S-Wing ball peen hammer and they're kind of hard to find the S-Wing ones. I always like S-Wing hammers. Uh, this one's got the, like the blue rubber handle and I bought that probably over 20 years ago. And even when I'm doing projects like this, you know, doing hand railing, it's a woodworking, basically it's like a framing construction project. Now I've got uh, claw hammers, I've got framing hammers, but I always grab this ball peen. And it's funny because if somebody would come up and be like, dude, you're like using the wrong tool. And yeah, if, if for most construction stuff, I am. However, when I do my deck, I'm not using any nails. Like everything is screwed together. And so typically what I'm using the hammer for is just little taps here, little taps there, just kind of adjusting things. And when I look at all the hammers that I have, the one that I want the most is my S-Wing ball peen hammer. And it kind of got me thinking about all the tools that we have, our relationship with tools. You know, uh, th there's kind of a sense when you really want to have every single tool. And I've been there. I've spent, I don't know how many thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on tools. Uh, my wife has been very supportive. And I kind of explained to her, I said, you know what, if I make my living with tools, I need to buy good tools. And to that end, I've always had a wide open ticket. I've never had to justify a tool purchase to my wife. Um, and she understands, hey, that's how you make a living. You need the tools. You know, when I was working at Sangel, uh, we had a tool allowance. I got $200 every month. And if we didn't spend it that month, it went away. And typically the, what would happen is every single Friday, the Snap-on truck would come. And we had a really great relationship with our Snap-on guy. And he would actually allow us to do installment payments on, on tools. So we would literally come out and my boss would come out with a company credit card and pay for the tools that I wanted. 
now. I mean, 200 bucks will buy you a ratchet or something like that. And if we ever wanted bigger tools, our Snap-on guy would say, hey, just put a couple hundred, you know, 200 bucks a month towards it. And once you've got it and you work at that place for, I think I was there for two and a half years, that's a, that's a decent amount of money they gave me to spend on tools. And I'd never considered buying Snap-on tools before. They're just a little bit too much money. You know, I've always grown up with Craftsman tools. I bought my first set of Craftsman, like the mechanic sets. You got some ratchets, some wrenches, uh, screwdrivers. I think I bought my first set when I was 15 years old. And I didn't even take it out of the box or unwrap it from the paper for a few years. But it was on sale and I thought, I need to get these tools. I need to have them. Uh, All the while, I'd probably continued using my dad's. But I've always had these Craftsman tools. And then working at San Joe, I thought, well, you know what, this is, this is, it felt more like the big time to me, nice shop, uh, doing heavy work. And so I started buying really nice tools. And when I got laid off at San Joe, I had a really wonderful, like, uh, probably like one of those $8,000 roll cabs filled to the broom with snap-on tools. And I brought those to my house and they were like my pride and joy, you know, I was like, oh, these are the greatest tools. I love them. At the same time, I had is like uh, the brand was Homac. is kind of a generic. You buy it at Costco. Roll cap is a good quality toolbox, but I had that full of Craftsman tools. And uh, the way that I had things set up is I had my Snap-on tools for work, and then I had a full set of tools at home that I could work on vehicles, look after my own stuff. And then, as I had both of these tools, and I was making knives. I was really only using my hand tools to do maintenance on our vehicles or the odd time I'd build some tool or jig or, you know, I built a couple of belt grinders, but I never really used these tools. And I had them for years and years. And I remember opening one of the drawers in, uh, in my Snap-on tool chest and I was like, oh, I haven't seen these tools in months. And it kind of got me thinking about, you know, is there value to having tools that you don't use? And I know, uh, you know, the classic case, and I think most people have seen Jimmy DeRista and uh, Brett. I think those guy, Brett McKay or McAfee. Anyway, Skull and Spade 13, I think, is on Instagram. They made up this sign that says, I'd rather have a tool and not need it than need a tool and not have it. And that, for me, is, oh, I 100% agree with that. But at the same time, it it kind of is a, a problem for me. I mean, I've got limited storage space. I've got the shipping container that is chocked full of tools that I don't use all the time. And I know there's sometimes, you know, in your middle of a project or especially I find with like working on your own vehicles, you know, you need a certain puller, a bearing puller, a tie rod end separator, whatever. There's only one tool that's going to do that job. And it's such a hard thing to uh, balance. Uh, Ultimately, when I look at a a perfect shop, my perfect shop would be just really good tools, but only tools that I use. And so I find that to be such a struggle. And I'm not sure if you guys do too, but, you know, we can acquire all these tools and then some of them, we just never use them. And then to have to go through and, and get rid of them, it's tough. You know, when we built our fifth wheel trailer, uh, we obviously moved from a house and we've stored a lot of stuff at my parents' house. My dad has a really big, he's got a 50 foot by hundred foot shop. He's got a big pole barn and they let us store pretty much all of our possessions and the mezzanine in the shop. And, uh, this past weekend, not this weekend, the weekend before I went through and my parents were like, listen, we're, do- we're getting rid of stuff. We're cleaning up this place. You need to get all of your stuff out of there. Um, I recently read a book called the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning and kind of talks about how, you know, we have all this stuff, um, that we need to eventually get rid of. And, and the idea being that when we, when we pass through this life, when we move on, 
uh, our stuff can often be a great burden to the people that we leave behind, right? And so I think that's what my parents want. They're getting rid of so much stuff. And they're like, when we die, we don't want you to have to come through here and sort through, you know, piles and piles of stuff. So anyways, we went through uh, what what left we had there. And we've been living in our house for about three years now. So pretty much anything that was left there, we didn't need. I mean, we've gone without it for like six years, five, six years. And so we ended up taking like a, a motorcycle covered trailer and I had that thing just full right to the gills and I threw so much stuff out, just got rid of it. And then all the tools I brought back to our house and I put it in the shipping container. And now I can hardly get in and out of that shipping container. And it was bad before. You know, you compound that uh, with the issue right now, nobody's allowed to have garage sales. And I want to have garage sales and sell stuff on the cheap. I want to get rid of stuff that I don't use. It's difficult. And at the same time, I mean, I could use like Facebook Marketplace or Kijiji, which is, you know, kind of a, it's a, it's a eBay company. Didn't take off in the US, but uh, it's kind of like a Craigslist. Craigslist here is very much underutilized. Most people sell stuff on Kijiji. But, um, you know, I can sell that. But then when I look at like, I've got the particular thing I'm thinking about is I've got a wrench set that goes from one and three eighths to two inches. And it was an El Cheapo, is like a Power Fist brand or something like that. So it's not good quality tools by any stretch, but they did the job. When I was working at Sanjo, we did some really heavy iron work. Um, love this this pipe, this pipe that they pumped the pressure, you know, it was up like 10,000 PSI. Uh, this steel pipe, we had these flanges on, we had to bolt together. And we used like, you know, inch and a half wrenches, inch and three quarter inches, big fasteners. And... I don't, I'll never use that again. I, I checked my tractor. I checked every piece of equipment that I have here, and there's nothing that big. And so this is what I'm thinking is like, oh, I've got this tool, and it's mine. Like, it's not costing me anything. It's been paid for. It can sit there and take up space. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't want it. Like, I've got clutter. I've got stuff. And so I'm, I'm finding myself uh, kind of going through my tools and, and saying, what do I really need? What, what do I really want? Now, there's obvious things that I use constantly, right? I mean, I could literally get rid of 90% of the tools that I own and still do probably 97% of the stuff that I need to do. Uh, and, and recently, I've been buying more tools, you know, uh, from my wife's Etsy. She makes these signs. And we'll take these boards, uh, spruce boards, we plane them down, get them really nice and smooth. And previously I had just a little rigid uh, three knife planer and it was really pulling the wood out a lot. And so I ended up looking around, I found a good deal on a DeWalt planer that had a Shelix cutter head on it. And it just left such um, a much better surface finish on it. So I bought this thing, it, was, it wasn't cheap at all. I mean, used, I paid like 1200 bucks for it. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to keep the rigid one as well. And I had it for like a month. And then I went out to the shipping container to get some other tool. And I looked at this thing. I thought, you know what? This thing lives in the shipping container. The DeWalt planer lives in the garage. I'm never going to use this again. The DeWalt one will do everything this one will. Why on earth would I want to hold on to it? And it's just this weird thing. Because it's a tool, it's useful. It's inherently useful. But then when you think about the fact, like when you buy a tool, you're not necessarily buying the tool but you're buying the process that the tool does for you, right? Like when I'm buying a planer, I'm not buying the planer. What I'm buying is smooth boards. I'm buying a good product that I can make. And when you start to look at the tools like that and ask yourself, okay, is this, does this tool allow me to do what I want, my end product? It kind of becomes a little bit easier to get rid of stuff. Uh, same thing, you know, when you're buying a welder, you're not buying a welder. It's not like I want to own that welder and just have it sit there. 
I want the ability to put steel together. So that's what you're paying for. That's what you're buying. And when I start looking at that and I use that, um, that weight to kind of compare whether I should keep a tool or not, it's actually become a lot easier for me because I'm like, okay, you know what? I've got this tool that does this, but I've got this that can do that as well. Is it worth me keeping both or is there one over the other that should stay? And uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a crazy thought process. Probably like 10 years ago, I, I was really on this minimalism kick. And there's a website called minimalist.com. I don't even know if it's there anymore. They spelled minimalist wrong. I think one of the eyes was missing. And um, I believe the gentleman's name was Leo Balboa, I believe. I'll put some links in the show notes. And I really was taken by this concept of owning as few things as possible. And I, I dove right in. I mean, I got rid of so much stuff. And probably for about a year, I pursued min- minimalism very, very, very aggressively. And I mean, it was to the point where I got rid of bicycles that I didn't ride as often as other bicycles. I got rid of tools, tons of tools. And, and at the time, I had an office job. And so I wasn't using my tools. I literally sold everything. And I had so many uh, like Starrett machining tools, really great measuring tools. I sold, I sold tons of stuff to my brother-in-law because I thought, you know what? I'll never be on the tools anymore. I have an office job now. And then when I got back on the tools, I realized like, wow, I'm starting from scratch. So essentially a lot of the stuff I own, I've bought twice. And when I was going through, when I kind of got through minimalism and I, I was, it was crazy. I got rid of cameras. I got rid of basically anything that I didn't use all the time. I said, no matter what happens, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to throw it away. And what I came to realize is that the less stuff you own, the less stuff you can do. And that kind of led me to the thought process of not minimalism, but essentialism. What is it that I want to do in my life? You know, if I like riding bicycles, I need to ride bicycles. Uh, This past winter, our family, we got back into skiing. Um, We bought passes for a local ski hill, but we didn't have any ski equipment. And when I look at the organization, I had to build some custom storage in the basement for these skis. And they're big and they take up room. And I hate having skis in the basement. But I look at them and I say, well, if you want to ski, you need to have skis. I mean, renting them, if, if you ski once a year, you can rent. That's great. But we were going every single week as a family and, and taking a ski day. Well, that's kind of part of the deal. If I want to go skiing, I need to have skis. And this approach has really kind of helped me form the ideas of what I keep and what I don't keep. Same thing with tools. You know, if there's tools that I have that's like, okay, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I can get rid of that tool. Uh, when I do, it means I, I lose the ability to do something. But when you look at it in those terms, rather than just, hey, I want to have less stuff. You know, my idea of utopia would be like a nice white, maybe maybe not white, maybe gray, but a garage that has so little stuff in it, but only the things that I use. Now, that's difficult for me because I do a lot of stuff. Um, I was never really into woodworking until after I got into making knives. And then you start buying like really nice, fancy, exotic, knife scales and and stuff like that and then you kind of think well what if i bought some larger chunks of wood and and broke it down myself you know recently i bought a new table saw i bought this planer um a drum sander i mean all these woodworking tools that i would never imagine myself buying and then now that i have them i'm like well why don't i start making some furniture around the house and so i've been doing that um you know you can get away with with woodworking tools uh for simple things like building a deck you don't need an awful lot for that but it's amazing these these tools that you start buying and they do allow you to do more things 
but at the same time, you have to look, over, look after them, right? Uh, my dad always told me, I remember him saying this, is that you don't own anything, it owns you. And that is so true. Uh, I remember, you know, the stuff that was at my parents' place, they'd been bugging me for months. So you need to come clean this up. You need to get rid of your junk. And I felt this sense of uh, enslavement to the stuff that I didn't use that was mine that I wanted to keep. And so getting rid of that recently has, has really brought this all to my, the forefront of my thought again, thinking about, you know, the stuff that I have, what it allows me to do, and, and stuff like that. So it was just really interesting to kind of explore that for the last week and think about it heavily. Um, I've gotten rid of a lot of stuff. I still have so many tools. And honestly, man, I wish there was just local people that needed stuff that I knew needed some of these tools because I would be happy just to give them away because I don't want to look after them anymore. So many of them are duplicates or, you know, like I had a big table saw and I only cut small pieces of plywood typically. I mean, I'm looking at possibly getting a track saw if I need to break down a large sheet. But I had this big, huge table saw and it was a pain in the butt. I had had to roll it out every time I needed it. I mean, I had dust collection for it. I had everything set up. And then there was this deal on this little, these portable DeWalt job site saws. And I was kind of wondering, I thought, man, these things are kind of cheap and chintzy and hokey. And uh, I ended up seeing one for like over half price. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to buy one and give it a try. If nothing else, I'll just put it on Kijiji and get rid of it again. And I'm amazed at how well that works for what I need a table saw for. But now I've got two table saws. What do I do? Well, I ended up giving the big one to my dad. Uh, I said, here, do you need a table saw? And he's got space for it. He's got a 50 by 100 foot shop. And a table saw is one of those tools that's so handy for things. Like they recently bought a, a new RV. And I mean, RVs are built like garbage. They're just junk. And I don't care what brand you buy. They're not made very well. So there's a whole bunch of like paneling that was like loose and wobbly. He needed to take off and, and cut down some thicker plywood to put in behind it to kind of beefen it up a little bit. And, and for jobs like that, you just, there's nothing better than a table saw, right? It, it's kind of like a quintessential tool for a wood shop. And I was really happy to give that to him. And then at the same time, it, it kind of looks like a downgrade from my perspective. But for what I actually do, it's great because now I don't have to store this big thing. This new saw that I have is, is so small. I just set it up on saw horses and a couple of boards when I need it. And yeah, it's not great for infeed and outfeed and all that stuff, but I typically don't do that. If I've got a large sheet, I'll break it down with my skill saw, which I'd prefer to do anyways. And then I can just do what I need to do, you know, making little boxes or, or things to store sandpaper. Uh, it's a perfect saw for that. And so it's kind of really interesting going through this recently and kind of taking a deep dive, looking at all my tools and saying, what does this allow me to do? Is there something I do a lot that this is the only thing for? Or is it possible that I have another tool that could do a fairly decent job? You know, as long as it's not something I'm doing constantly, maybe it's worth looking at, at getting rid of some of the stuff and downsizing a little bit. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting concept. Um, I don't see a lot of people with tools talking ever about getting rid of tools. It's always about which new tool they buy. Uh, you know, like right now I have two belt grinders and I'm not getting rid of either of them because I, I have specific purposes set up. But if someone were to come along and, and give me a great deal on a third belt grinder, I honestly don't know that I could justify it. And it's funny because a couple years ago when I had my homemade belt grinder and I was, I was full-time knife making on this grinder that I built, man, if somebody had a good deal on a, a like a commercially available 2 by 72 I would have snapped it up right now. And so it's kind of interesting to think like, you know, do you have what you need to do what you want to do? That's just something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And uh, I've really kind of enjoyed going down that road and uh, seeing about that. So anyways... 
that was pretty much the only topic I had uh, considered for this podcast. I would like to know your input. If you guys have questions that you'd like to go over stuff, um, you can hit me up on social media. My Instagram is simplelittlelife.ca. Check it out there. And uh, anything you'd like to ask me, that'd be great. Um, Like I said, I'm going to be having some guests on in the future. I think I've got three guests lined up so far, so I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying this. And uh, I don't know necessarily how to make this so it's not just me babbling to a microphone, which is really, to tell you the truth, I feel like I'm just sitting here with verbal diarrhea. It's like, what the heck are you doing? But I don't know. I guess we can just share some thoughts. And uh, it'd be nice to have some guests because one thing I notice a lot in a lot of really great podcasts is somebody will be telling a story or, or talking about something. And if there's somebody else there, very often that other person will interject a question. And I, I think that leads to a lot of other great dialogue and a lot of great comments. And it kind of just moves the story along, right? So uh, I really look forward to that in the future. But um, yeah, anyways, guys, I hope you're having a wonderful, uh, wonderful week. Uh, coming up this week, I am going to be building a knife for a video. I, I don't know what yet. Uh, today is actually Monday, but I'm going to have a video come out this weekend on a knife build. Not entirely sure what it is yet. I, I don't even have an idea of what I'm going to do, um, but that's going to happen. And then uh, lately, I've just been focusing on catching up on knife orders. Um, I've actually shut off the custom order feature on my website for the simple fact that I, I I don't know what the deal was, but even after this COVID-19 and everybody was like staying at home, I was just like crushed with orders. I had so many, like more than almost a Christmas rush. And I, I don't know what the deal is, but I ended up getting this, this big influx of orders and I feel completely overwhelmed right now. And so I shut that off. Uh, I get emails every day, people saying, hey, can you do this knife for me? Or they'll send me a screenshot of a knife I made in a video. And right now I'm just saying at this time, I'm not taking custom orders. And it's a certain sense of like, you can't just say no to work. But at the same time, I, I'm so far behind right now that I can't possibly take on new knives and not feel terrible to my customers that are waiting. You know, it's interesting. I compare my knife business to my wife's Etsy business where she sells kind of generic stuff. Uh, not really. I mean, they're, they're hand-painted signs, but the people that buy them, they have no clue who they're buying them from. Whereas I think most people that buy knives from me, they want a knife because it's from me. And so they're willing to be patient. And it, it, it's kind of a... It's not good, but it's also kind of amazing because... If I take on too much work, if I have too many orders, they have to wait, but they're willing to. And I feel so terrible that I have to rely on their patience. And so that's why I think that, that getting away from custom, or custom orders is going to make me feel much, much better about the way my business is run. Um, it, it really bugs me to have people waiting for way longer than, than what the website said. Like I typically would have like six to eight weeks on my website. But that's with a certain volume, right? And if you get like four times the volume, well, it's just, oh, it's just incredible. It's a wonderful problem to have, but it's also a problem that I really need to address. So hopefully in the future, uh, that won't be happening. And then that's also been a major, the number one contribution to why I haven't been making YouTube videos. I've just been concerning my efforts on getting knives out that I owe people. And and that's that's the whole thing. You know, you, you want to work for yourself. You want to be a, an independent man. But ultimately, every one of my customers is my boss, right? Whereas if you were to make a knife and then sell it once it was completely done, ready to ship out, you kind of take away that awkward relationship there. They're still your customers. They're still getting knives from you. But I don't have to feel like, oh, man, everything I do, if it's not working right on their knife, you feel guilty for some reason, right? 
So that's kind of a change that I'm doing in my business, and I'm going to see how it works. I think it's going to be good. Um, if nothing else, just to give myself a little bit of time, a little bit of breathing room. And then also, I think it kind of motivates you too. You know, when I do a custom knife, if somebody emails me and they've got very specific requirements, uh, I make them pay a 50% deposit. And if they order from my website, they actually pay in full. And so I've got so many knives that have been paid in full completely. And, you know, the money's already come in. The, the bank account isn't in a dire situation. Whereas if you're just making and as they're available selling them, the only way to get more money in is to sell that knife that you've already made. And I think that is going to be the biggest uh, biggest help for me in the future uh, the, with the way I run my business, just my day-to-day -day life. That's going to be a, a change that I'm looking forward to. And then, you know, the, it also frees up the option that I can make some knives and film the whole process and then sell that knife. Um, I think it's going to be really good going forward in the future. And having said that, I mean, after this whole COVID-19 stuff, I don't think we really understand the full effect of the economic fallout. You know, I don't think any of that's really caught up to anything. So who knows? Like in eight months, who knows what business looks like? Um, I don't know. I, like I said, I was really surprised that people were buying my knives like crazy right after the pandemic started. Um, maybe it's kind of like everything else. You know, all of a sudden the stores are empty. They're like, oh, I better get it right now. Maybe it was something to do with that. But I don't know. Interesting. Interesting times going on. Interesting to think how these times affect your work, your job, the things you make. And also the one thing I, I really noticed too is that when I'm making something, I'm really not focused on the coronavirus. I'm not focused on um, civil unrest or polarization. It's just me and an object. And, you know, we get along, we make stuff. And I've, I find it very therapeutic almost. And I think that's one thing, one benefit that makers have as opposed to people that don't really make stuff. I mean, I guess everybody kind of has their thing. But when you're making stuff, you can isolate. You know, you, you, you need so much attention and your, your mental capacity has to be 100% dedicated on what you're doing or else it's going to, you're going to hurt yourself or you're going to wreck whatever you're working on. And so I'm really enjoying that. And, and I think the busier you are at these times making stuff, um, the healthier it seems that my mind has been. But anyways, that pretty much wraps it up. I hope you're doing well. Be peaceful to each other. And I thank you so much for listening. Cheers. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.